You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to the Moe Gamer podcast. Uh, we're coming at you just a week after the last one in an attempt to get back on our original intended schedule which is uh, sort of roughly every two weeks or so um brief update for those who haven't seen the news on twitter or elsewhere um if you're watching this on youtube there is now also an audio only version of this podcast available on soundcloud and it's also listed on itunes and a couple of other podcast services that i've completely forgotten the name of i think TuneIn was one of them i can't remember what the other one was though so you should be able to find an audio only version uh, of this podcast after popular demand or four people asking me anyway so <laughs> <laughs> but yes uh, for those of you who prefer to listen to, into your car and uh, don't have the time or inclination to admire my glorious video editing work then uh, now you can do that all right uh, i am pete davison from moegamer.net as you probably know by now and i'm once again joined by my good friend chris kasky of mrgilderpixels.com hello pete hello right uh lots to talk about today um we're going to start off with the news as usual. Um, judging by our, uh, our notes that we've taken, it's a bit of a week of remakes and uh, remasters. <laughs> it, it really is. It really yeah. is. It's officially the generation where I don't buy new video games anymore. I just buy new versions of video <laughs> games I've already purchased, which is yeah. oddly, oddly comforting, so it's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it says something about those old games, I think, doesn't it? Timeless. Absolutely. And all that. Um, so the, the the first one of which I've got on my list is uh, Grandia and Grandia 2 are getting HD remasters for Switch. Yes. Um, Grandia 2 has already been re-released on PC, uh, but PC is getting a uh, HD remaster of Grandia 1 to go alongside that as well. And then the pair of them are going to be released on Switch as well. So that is courtesy of Gung Ho Online Entertainment America, uh, and it's supposedly coming this winter. Um, not a lot more to say about that at the moment, I don't think, apart from the fact that Grandia is brilliant. Yes, very yes. brilliant. <clears throat> it's exciting because um, there had been little hints that um, something might happen eventually with Grandia, right? Because um, mm-hmm. Gung- Gung-Ho owns Game Arts. Yeah. Um, and I remember when I purchased um, Ragnarok Odyssey Ace on the Vita, there were Justin and Fina costumes it was just oh, yes. cos- it was just cosmetic but i remember when those when those were released i think they were just free dlc and uh i just remember flipping out because like obviously whenever <laughs> a classic developer right puts like a nod to something like that in one of their newer games it's like are they gonna resurrect it like and that was that was years ago right ragnarok odyssey ace was years ago but yeah when you sent me the news i, I flipped out because the original grandia is just amazing Yes, yes. One of one of my earliest RPGs, I think. Um, definitely one I discovered post Final Fantasy VII, but um, one that I have very fond memories of, and I have very fond memories of Grandia Two on Dreamcast as well. I uh, oh yeah, spent a lot of time playing that. Uh, still listen to the soundtrack for that one occasionally. It's got a great battle theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, those are great games. Wonderful battle system. Um, yeah, I think is- there's a pretty big consensus that the Grandia battle system is pretty much one of the best battle systems like the whole of the genre yeah definitely it's it's just unbelievable it's interesting we haven't seen it ripped off that often though isn't it because uh, i yeah. mean it's, it's it's very widely regarded as a good one so you'd, you'd think more people would want to 
experiment with with that kind of thing i mean the closest thing i've seen recently is blue reflections battle system which uses a similar kind of idea of meters and knocking things back and so on but it's it's not quite the same um but yeah i'm, I'm surprised more developers haven't experimented with that a bit more but uh, i mean that makes grandia unique so it's not necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm all right. Um, along the same lines, um, Sega is bringing the Sega Ages brand back. Um, and in September in Japan, they're doing a Sega Ages version of Fantasy Star for Switch. So that's the original Master System one. Um, if I remember rightly, this has got some enhancements and stuff, hasn't it? It's got fancy graphics. It's, hasn't it got an auto-mapping now as well, I think? Yeah, that was the big thing that got me excited about it. So the whole game is actually presented in... Um, almost like an old PC um, Japanese RPG, like it, it's going to have a almost like a photo frame around it. Yes. Um, so like the game is going to take place in a smaller screen within the screen, and then you'll be able to take advantage of some of those enhancements because they'll be displayed in that border frame. So like yeah. the an auto map will be there as one of the options. Yeah. Auto mapping feature a full monster codex. Yes. Um. It's got the FM soundtrack as well for the yes. um, Master System add-on. Um, I don't know if we got that over here, actually. But yeah, it's certainly an opportunity to hear that music in uh, a different form to you might be familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Apparently there's a, a music player within it as well, so you can enjoy both the FM and the PSG versions of the soundtrack. Uh, actual yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to this because um, I'm not as mu- as much as I like first-person dungeon crawling rpgs nowadays I, I kind of have difficulty with the much older ones basically mm-hmm. before auto mapping was a thing because you know whatever make fun of me for not being hardcore if you wish but i just i just <laughs> have no i have no desire to get the graph paper out yeah like like so to finally be able to revisit fantasy star in a format that i'll find a bit more agreeable is mm-hmm. really exciting to me yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that. I mean, Fantasy Star 1 is actually the, the only Fantasy Star that isn't Fantasy Star Online that I've actually played and beaten today. I, I actually did get the graph paper out. I played the Game Boy Advance version. Oh, okay. Um, and sat there with some, some graph paper. And actually really enjoyed the experience as well, but that was a good few years ago now. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm not sure, I, not sure I would be quite as tolerant of, of, of it now as uh, I was then, but... Uh, I enjoyed it at the time, certainly. So hopefully we'll see um, some of these Sega Ages releases coming west. Uh, there's been no announcements of it at the minute, but, uh, well, fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Langrisser? I know we mentioned that last episode, but uh, yeah, a few more yeah. details now, haven't we? So. Yeah, so uh, last episode we talked about how there was a teaser for a teaser that we were going to get some news about a potential console related new langrisser title um so now we have a bit more details and what is happening is langrisser 1 and 2 are getting remakes on the playstation 4 and switch which is exciting news Mm -hmm. um there's a little bit of a disappointment in that um the original artist satoshi Rishihara isn't going to be returning so um it's going to lack that kind of signature style that a lot of fans tie to Langrisser, but the good news is the illustrator from Gus's Artonelico series is mm. coming back, and he's going to actually do the art and the character designs this time around. So, um, uh, a fine artist uh, in his own right, uh, Ryo Nagi, will be doing the character designs, and they look great. Uh, you know, I don't find myself missing the Arishahara stuff that much. 
Uh, most importantly is that the screenshots have been shared really do paint a picture that it's a proper remake. Um, it's still 2D graphics, um, still looks like it's got the you know the clash of the the larger armies going on in those battle cutaway scenes yeah. um it, it just looks like the original game is remade to a modern standard so i'm excited for that because we live in an age now where more games get localized than don't so this could really be langrisser's break in the west finally mm. after many many years of not really being something that the west has access to yeah that'll be good to see it's certainly a series i'd like to check out after hearing you talk about it so yeah i'm quite fond of it um i used to play the imports on the saturn religiously back in the day not understanding a word of japanese <laughs> just 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 fumbling through the menus because yeah. the mu the music and the graphical presentation and the the overall vibe of it were just something i always enjoyed yeah i've, I've never been able to do that i mean i I just I just have a mental block against playing something that is obviously story heavy that I, I just can't understand. So yeah, I've ne I've never been able to actually make myself do that. So it will uh, yeah it'll be my first contact with these when these uh, finally arrive. Yeah, well they're they're worth checking out. So hopefully they get localized. Hopefully we get a nice physical release for them and we can dance around and enjoy Langrisser. <laughs> <coughs> Fingers crossed. All right, uh, what else would you like to talk about? Um, it's just, with Gamescom um, this week, it's just been a deluge of launch dates. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, not not a whole heck of a lot to talk about regarding them, but some really good launch dates are hitting. Um, Shenmue 3 um, finally has a launch date, um, tentatively, because if it, anything that's this far out, I take with a grain of salt, but apparently August... 27th 2019 we are mm -hmm. finally going to get Shenmue 3 uh, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice which is that new really cool looking ninja action game from the Dark Souls team over at From Software yep. uh, March 22nd 2019 um, from Gamescom we got our first uh, gameplay footage of Devil May Cry 5 um, mm -hmm. which is looking absolutely fantastic um, March 8th 2019 so uh, March is going to be a good time between yep. Sekiro and Devil May Cry <laughs> um, got a little bit of bad news from um, Koji Garashi's team over working on Bloodstained Ritual of the Night which was the Kickstarter funded Castlevania-ish game um, it has been delayed to 2019, which I don't think will surprise anyone, but the Vita version has also been cancelled, um, which I'm sure will make some people sad, but from a business perspective, it makes sense, because Sony's support for the Vita is gone, so yeah. it doesn't, doesn't make much sense for it to continue. It's a shame, but I, I think it's time people need to, to let go, because, I mean, after, after a number of years of the Vita being branded dead by everyone, I think we are reaching a point where... It's actual death is very much approaching. What with the the end of physical car production, I mean, I know Limited Run is still putting some stuff out, but uh, I give yeah. that a year at most, though, yeah. before that dries up. Yeah, absolutely. it's just with with the Switch, it just doesn't make sense for a company to continue to invest time and money into no, Vita, Vita development. It not just at simply all. doesn't. And I, I, and I mean, what you can get on the Switch now is covering a lot of the same bases that Vita did. So you're getting a lot of JRPGs on there. You're getting a lot of indies on there. Uh, sort of handheld friendly games that you can play for short sessions so if you're a vita fan and you haven't got a switch 
start saving basically <laughs> yeah oh it's, it's yeah it's crazy how much crossover and similarity there is yeah um and, and just like with the vita like strange like strange physical copies yeah uh, like this, for some reason the switch has really become this like weird like i'd like a physical copy of this game and then like two weeks later like it gets announced yeah like i'm really looking forward to that hollow night now that that's gotten a, a physical version announced yeah yeah yeah, like I mean, I, we've discussed this before, but there's a, a couple of uh, publishers out there, um, Nicholas being one of them, who are. Am I saying that right? I'm never sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Nicholas, Nicholas, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they're, they're they're certainly very keen on um, bringing out physical versions of previously digital only stuff as well, and that's great. And they do really nice versions as well. So so not limited editions, but they they do things like putting a little NES style manual in there and. Sometimes a little mini soundtrack CD or a, a keychain charm or something like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, they, I really they get appreciate it. They get stuff. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else have we got? Um, Xenoblade Elma. Chronicles Two. Yes, Xenoblade Chronicles Two is getting another rare blade, which is Elma from Xenoblade Chronicles Cross. Um, she's part of the expansion pass, so she's not added just by a, a, an update. You actually need the expansion pass for her. Um, there's also been a bunch of new costumes and stuff added. There's a load of swimwear costumes that have been making certain quarters of the internet very angry because they can't handle bare lady flesh. Um, oh, no. Oh, no. What a shame. Um, but, uh, yeah, Morag looks great in a one piece, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this because um, it's less than a month until the Torna. Yes expansion yes. comes out and, and it sounded um, like that's pretty substantial as well i've been hearing reports of sort of 30 to 40 hours in that yeah so. it's a whole new titan it adds a whole new titan yeah um so that's great and once again i know we mentioned it in a prior episode but if you buy the physical copy of the torna expansion you do get a code for the complete dlc pass for the original game as part of that package yeah and the, the and the torna expansion on a cartridge is its own standalone game as well isn't it because i've seen yes. i've seen people are still a bit confused about that but uh, yeah you can buy yes. that by itself and you not only get that as a standalone game but if you've still got the original game as well then you get access to all this expansion stuff as well i don't know no that wouldn't make sense that you'd have access to that if you didn't have the original Zelda chronicles yeah it's very it's very clear in the market yeah. and stuff like you must have i mean yeah. what, what would you do <laughs> like what would you do with it <laughs> but that's cool i mean this is this is like a proper expansion pack from the old days isn't it it's like you buy something yeah. that has its own substantial standalone stuff and then adds it uh, adds a bunch of stuff to the original game as well so yeah i'm all for this i would like to see more of this please yeah 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 i mean i'm obviously i still don't love that i'm not going to have it like, some kind of physical archived version of that dlc pass stuff but i would have bought torna anyway yes so so whether or not that dlc stuff was there it's, it's still a great bonus yeah and and plus with with the switch using sd cards as well it's actually a bit easier to back up and archive this stuff as well so Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's certainly a lot easier than uh, the things like Vita games that get DLC and that, and that kind of thing and getting stuff off your PS4 and that sort of thing. So um, yeah, while it's it's not ideal, certainly it's uh, it's better than it could be. <laughs> and it's Xenoblade. So yes, give me, absolutely. Gimme, gimme. All, all for more of that. Okay, uh, last bit of news I've got on our docket here is just uh, a little thing that uh, if you're an iOS owner, there is now a Neptunia app. 
uh, available, or it will be on the 29th of August anyway. Um, it's basically uh, one of these sort of anime-style alarm clocks that seem to be quite popular. So you have a character on the screen, you can prod and poke them and they say things. And um... <laughs> that's <laughs> Yeah, so it's, it's just a silly little thing, but... Um, yeah, they, they seem to be quite popular. They're ways of uh, sort of engaging with those characters and having a bit of fun with them. So, uh, yeah, so that's coming on August 29th. Judging by previous ones um, of this sort of thing, you'll probably get maybe one character for free and then you'll, you'll probably have to pay for the other ones and uh, costumes. The original Japanese version had some other characters uh, from games like Fairy Fencer F and uh, Moero Chronicle as well. So we don't know if we're going to get those over here, uh, particularly because Moero Chronicle didn't get a uh, proper Western release. It only got an Asian English release, but uh, certainly all the key Neptunia girls should be in there. Yeah, I'm. I'm ex- I, I, I'll check this out just because it's cute. Oh like, yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not a mobile game. It's an application, really. Yeah, it's, so. it's just something to to have a bit of fun with. And uh, yeah, if you want Neptune shouting at you in the morning to wake you up, then oh, you're covered. <laughs> oh, uh, one last thing I did want to mention as well is that uh, the last remnant is going to be removed from digital storefronts next month. Yeah, in September 2018. Uh, so. Yeah, so the PC version is uh, not going to be purchasable after September the 4th in North America and Europe and September the 5th in Japan. Uh, it doesn't actually say anything about um, the Xbox Marketplace version of it. Um, and the, the announcement Square Enix did was specifically on Steam and specifically mentioned the PC version. Also, you can still get the Xbox 360 version as a physical copy as well, but... Um, mm-hmm. From what I've seen of discussion surrounding this, the the PC version is a very good port of it. So um, if you want that, then snap it up quickly. Yeah, this is really curious to me because I don't really understand why. Like, it's not like the game has, to my knowledge, like licensing stuff associated with it or mm. any. You know, it's just it's very bizarre. Yeah, I'm not sure of the reasons behind it. I mean, th- this sort of thing is is generally just just to do with like licensed um, licensed music normally, isn't it? But uh, yeah, yeah, they haven't they haven't um, said anything specific about that sort of thing. They just said they're going to be discontinuing digital and physical sales of the Last Remnant on PC. So you won't be able to get the physical copy of the PC version if you could find one of those anyway after that point as well um but worth noting as well as with most stuff that gets discontinued on steam if you already own a copy you will still be able to play it after it's been removed from the storefront uh, and you'll still be able to download it as well if you haven't downloaded it you just won't be able to buy a new copy of it or gift it to anyone or anything like that so bear that in mind that is sad news um that's a, ga- a game that i do want to check out at some point but i haven't got round to i think i've got a 360 version on my shelf somewhere but um one i've always been a bit curious about wasn't it wasn't that the one that wasn't that the one that they made specifically to try and court westerners is that is that the one i'm thinking of yeah that's the one it's got mm. like a tactical bent to it yeah like like it, like the battles are like very large scale but like still turn-based battles like it's not a grid-based strategy game but it's like when you get in combat in that game like you're in the middle of a war zone okay. so like there's like stuff happening on like large scale battlefields going around if if yeah. i recall correctly i haven't played it myself because it was one of those things where you know it came out in the in the west for the 360 I had already reached the point when that game came out where i was like i'd rather own games on the ps3 if i can yeah. 
So there was a PS3 version in Japan. So I'm like, oh well, I'll just wait, and like, and then here I remain. <laughs> like, like so, so I never picked it up on 360 because I always thought, well, the PS3 version will come out here eventually, and maybe it'll have enhancements, kind of like what happened with Star Ocean. Because I got mad when I bought Star the Star Ocean that came out on the 360 because mm. a year later there was a better version on the PS3. Yeah, with more content. The same thing happened with. Um, Try Ace's Eternal Sonata. So, like, I was just like, fool me once, shame on me with with, <laughs> with RPGs on the 360, right? So, I didn't buy it. Yeah. Um, but now I'll make an point to pop on eBay. I mean, there's copies for like 25 bucks. Like, it's it's not a rare or no, really no. particularly well thought of game. So, uh, it's not difficult to get a hand your hands on it. But mm. I'm sure it's probably cooler and more mechanically interesting than the mainstream press gave it. You know. Oh, I'm sure. Any credit for back in the day. I'm sure it's got some really interesting ideas. I've always thought it looked cool. I guess the other possibility for this is that they could be removing it with a plan to re-releasing or remastering it at some point. Oh, that's a good point. Although you'd you'd think they'd announce that and you would also think that um, if they were going to do that, they would probably just do it as an upgrade to the P- for PC owners because that's how a lot of other companies have done it recently. Mm-hmm. If you own the original game, you get the remastered version for free. Although this is Square Enix we're talking about and they do make sure. stupid decisions sometimes. So you never know. That That no. is one possibility. Although I wonder how likely that is because as you say, it's not one of their most well-regarded games despite, yeah. the, it, despite you having its fans out there. But uh, you never know. That is That is one possible silver lining, but we'll have to wait and see on that, I guess. I think what they'll do is they'll probably, because this is Square Enix, they'll probably pull it from Steam, release a version for iOS that, <laughs> that performs poorly, yep. and then re-release the iOS version for Steam. Yes. <laughs> yes. That sounds about right. Yeah. Can, can I just say at this point as well that I think it is absolutely shameful that it took them five major patches to get Chrono Trigger... Fucking Chrono Trigger <laughs> running properly on PC. <laughs> I've been running Chrono Trigger properly on PC since the late nineties, <laughs> so I don't really know what's going. I don't really know what's going on here. But yeah, I, I just see it occasionally pop up in my Steam newsfeed, and it's like, "Oh, patch number five is here. This has brought much requested updates to graphics." It's like, no, no one wants updates to graphics. They just want the original Super NES tile set, pixel art. None of your stupid touchscreen menus, and it, yeah, just just an emulated version of the Super NES version is absolutely fine. Thank you very much. Yeah, or the the DS one that had the extra content. Like, yeah. I think that's what people, you know. But once again, the DS version was pixel perfect. It's not yeah. like there was any stupid enhancements on it. Like, what's the first thing I did when I got Mega Man X Legacy Collection was like went in all the menus and made sure all those like stupid smoothing filters were off. Yeah. And they put that in their marketing as well. They were like, look, you can have this in lovely, smooth, filtered graphics. And everyone went, nah, mate. Yeah, because people who love Mega Man X3 also really love looking like their television's been smeared with Vaseline. It's like a, it's, it's definitely one of our favorite things. No, oh, I hate dear. these graphic filters. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, I think that about covers it for the news for now. Unless you've got anything else you want to mention? No, no, I think that's it. Just uh, it's been a really fruitful Gamescom this year. Um, yeah, very much. I really, really encourage any action 
Japanese-style action game fans to watch that new Devil May Cry 5 footage. It is way, way, way better than anything I was expecting. Mm -hmm. And you can also uh, laugh at Salty Games journalists who don't get to hear the soundtrack because they're not good at it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's take a short break there. Uh, then we'll come back with our second segment where we'll talk about what we've been playing recently. This will probably be quite a short one today for both of us. Um, and then we'll get into our main topic for the episode after that. So, see you in a moment. Welcome back. Uh, for our second segment, as you know, we talk a bit about what we've been playing recently. Um, now, our main topic for this episode is uh, going to be Sonic the Hedgehog. And I've been playing mostly Sonic the Hedgehog games recently in an attempt to squeeze in as many as possible. Um, so I'm probably going to save most of my discussion of those uh, for our third segment. Um, but I've been playing a couple of other things recently as well. Uh, I won't get too much into Dragon Quest again because I've mentioned that a lot recently. Um, but I, I did want to mention the uh, Sega Classics collection that I booted up for the first time last night. Um, been meaning to check this out for ages. This is the PS2 compilation of the Sega Ages uh, 2500 series. Oh, oh yeah, that's a great game. Yeah, so uh, it's a compilation that includes uh, Outrun, Space Harrier, uh, Tempt R and Bonanza Brothers, uh, Fantasy Zone, Golden Axe, Virtue Racing, Monaco GP and Columns. And all of them are um, enhanced versions rather than straight ports of the original. So Outrun has got uh, sort of full polygonal graphics, that sort of thing. There's high resolution graphics in most of them. Monaco GP has got a bunch of extra modes. I've just written about that over on Mario Gamer. So check that out if you want a few more details. But... Um, yeah, I've been really impressed with this so far. Um, not only are these really good games, they are really good versions of these games as well. So, um, have you had much of a chance to play with this before? Yeah, yeah, I have that. It's really mm. cool. Um, I mainly bought it because back in the day, I had a friend who was a pretty um, voracious import collector. Mm -hmm. and, he, and he was actually getting those one by one as they were released in Japan. The, right. the Sega Ages, because there's so many of them on the PS2. Yes. Um, there was one for Wonder Boy as well. There was one for um, the... Oh, boy. Uh, I'm losing it. Dragon Force, the strategy RPG series from the Saturn. They released yeah. Ages versions of those. So, like these, This had been going on for quite a long time. So, um, you know, this was the only chance I had to get my hands on any of them <laughs> when it yeah. came out. And um, I'm a huge fan of uh, Fantasy Zone, or... Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of had to get it right away, to to just to get the, my hands on that enhanced port of Fantasy Zone. Yeah, I haven't actually tried that one yet. I uh, I just tried a few of them uh, last night, so I had a, a bit of a go at Outrun because that's uh, a long time favorite of mine. Monaco GP, as I said, um, Columns has had quite an interesting treatment because rather than a straight port of the original Mega Drive one, it's kind of combined some elements from uh, the first Columns and Columns Three. So it's got oh, cool. things like. So it's got things like the uh, the versus mode from Columns Three with the power gems and stuff, where you can, depending on which gem you drop, you can either raise up your opponent's well or destroy all the gems of a single type or drop down your own well if your opponent's been attacking you. Um, it's also got this um, sort of bizarre story mode in it with uh, cute girl goes on adventures and fights monsters by dropping columns. 
<laughs> oh, that's cool. That's very uh, Puyo Puyo, right? Yeah, very, very much. Very much. It very much reminds me of, of that sort of thing. Um, Tant R was another interesting one. I'd never heard of this one before. I mean, I was familiar with Bonanza Brothers, but uh, Tant R is, is not one that I was uh, familiar with at all. Um, this is a... They call it a puzzle and action game. Um, and it uses the characters from Bonanza Brothers, but it's a completely different kind of game. So rather than a, a stealth action game, um, it's basically a series of mini-games. And uh, so each round of that, you pick one of uh, four mini-games that are available on the screen. And then they take the form of all sorts of different things. So in one, you might be shooting UFOs and having to sort of lead your target and that sort of thing. In another one, you might be getting textual clues to try and find a, a particular shape on a grid. Uh, in another one, there's like a rocket ship with pieces missing, and you've got to pick out the, the missing bits using their colors and their shapes. Um, it's just a really interesting game. It's it's quite straightforward if you play it by yourself, um, but you can play it with simultaneous two-player, or there's a four-player mode as well. Uh, quite a few games in this collection support the multi-tap on the PS4, uh, PS2 oh, okay. rather, uh, and allow you to play up to uh, four players. Um, so I know that uh, Monaco GP, you can play four-player split-screen on that. Uh, Tantar, you can play four-player, um, and you sort of compete to complete the puzzles quicker than the other people. Uh, Columns, I don't know. You can definitely play that two-player. And then, obviously, uh, stuff like Outrun and, and Space Harry, those are all um, pretty strictly single-player. But, uh, yeah, so there's some really interesting stuff on there. So I'm, I'm going to be... Um, exploring each of those games in detail one at a time uh, over on Mario Game. I've already done Monaco GP, like I said, so I'll be looking at some of the others over the coming weeks, so watch out for those. Yeah, that'll be good. I love this Sega history stuff. Um, you know, their arcade chops are kind of unmatched. So. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And this this Sega Ages stuff is, is really interesting. It's basically their take on the Simple series in the PS2 era, yeah. uh, right, right down to working with D3 Publisher as well. Um, so these games originally came out for about 2,500 yen each, so it's about sort of 15 or 16 pounds there in today's money. Um, and yeah, they were just designed to be something that you could pick up, have a bit of fun with, you don't have to engage with it too deeply, but it's sort of pocket money gaming basically. Yeah, they and, were cool uh, too. In like yeah. in Japan, in Japan, like if you have a chance to Google the boxes and stuff, they it ha they had a unified like border and like a spine. Mm. So like they went on your shelf looking like a cohesive collection. I believe they were numbered and everything. Yes, yes, yeah. So that's cool. Um, and then they they did remakes of stuff like Fantasy Star and things as well, didn't they? Um, yeah, like the the Mega Drive Fantasy Star games certainly. And I know those were quite well regarded, but we didn't get those over here. It's probably a fan translation project out there somewhere, though. There usually is. I'm sure. <laughs> all right. Um, so aside from Sonic games, which we'll be talking about in the next segment, that's pretty much all I've been uh, playing this week. So uh, do you want to jump in and talk a bit about what you've been up to, if anything? I've, I've mostly <laughs> been playing Sonic games, too, in order to <laughs> in order to be, in order to beef up for the conversation later. But uh, one thing I did play a little bit this week that I thought might be fun to mention was... Uh, uh, for the Game Gear slash Master System, there's a, a Sega published game called Vampire Master oh, yes. of Darkness, or yes. alternatively just Master of Darkness on the Master System, um, which is really interesting because it's basically just like, hey, we're not Castlevania, please don't sue us, Konami. Like it's so <laughs> it's it's so an attempt to make a Castlevania style game. Um, 
it's just it's really interesting though because it clearly has its own identity like if you looked at a screenshot of it you'd be like oh this is a total ripoff of castlevania but um it does a lot of little things differently that i think make it kind of interesting as well like so castlevania is always except for some of like the ones on the ds where it makes it clear that they take place in the modern day have always just been in kind of this like nebulous medieval like setting yeah but uh, Master of Darkness, like very specifically, is trying to be a Dracula story in the sense of the Dracula novel, like the original Dracula novel, okay. not just like not just like a popular culture Dracula, but it's very yeah. much like Dracula has come to London. We must stop Dracula. So like the first level, like is on the Thames River, like exploring murders on the Thames River, and like the boss of the first level is Jack the Ripper. And then, like, the second level is, like, takes place in a, like, a wax museum. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's got a very different setting and theme around it than what you would expect from the typical Castlevania, which is just kind of, like, vaguely medieval horror. Um, it, it, it's more, it's more gothic than this kind of fantasy horror. Mm, that's um, pretty cool. You know, you don't play as, like, muscle-bound vampire hunter guy. You play as, like, an investigator in a petticoat in a trench coat (laughs) and like and like the weapons are not you know the whip and like because you're not a monster hunter so like you start with a knife you can get i can't tell from the sprite it's either a ball peen hammer or a walking stick (laughs) 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 but but either way it's some some kind of thing with a a thing on the top of it that you swing like a it's like you like i said either a hammer or a walking stick i can't really mm. tell uh or or you can get a a, a rapier to thrust with yeah. um but unlike castlevania where like once you collect the three different whip power-ups you um like these weapons drop from you know the power-up dispensers and yeah. you get them and then that's just the weapon you have okay so you can, if you're not paying attention to what you're grabbing, you can downgrade and get a weapon yeah. that's not good for the situation you're in. Because, like, no one wants the knife. It does bad damage, and it's really short. Mm-hmm. So, like, once you get the rapier, like, you want to basically, like, be wary of what power-ups you pick up. Because you could technically downgrade. Yeah. Um, you know, and it does have the alternate weapons too that you use by holding up and pressing attack, just like in Castlevania. But because it's taking place in a more modern time like the weapons are like you get a a handgun you get bombs so it's it's very different it has its Mm. own kind of unique identity um it also has really cool um like story intertitle panels in between the levels like like, explaining the mystery and like i'm going here next they're like the villain will taunt you which is something that castlevania never really had so it's an interesting little game um it's by Sims, which is kind okay. of a yeah. small mid-tier developer that was um, originally co-founded by Sega, and then they kind of went independent later. But they've been responsible for some interesting stuff through the ages. Like they were, they did programming for the uh, Master System version of Ninja Gaiden. Yes. They also made an RPG called Vi for the Sega CD, which is kind of one of the better Sega CD RPGs that people often talk about. It was localized mm-hmm. by work, working designs back in the day. Um, yeah. They also worked on quite a few of the Sega Ages uh, titles on PS2 from from what I could see the other day as well. Yes. Yeah. Yep, they did. Um, also, Charge and Blast, which is one of my favorite 
little arcadey games for the Dreamcast. Uh-huh. I don't know if you ever played that or not, but it's like I, I, I've seen footage of it, but I haven't actually played it. I think I saw a classic game room today did a review on it a while back. Um, but yeah, I actually played it. It's like mech suits versus kaiju in like a shooting yes. gallery kind of setting, which which I really like. They also worked with um, uh, Cavia once to make one of those bass pro fishing games on the, on the dreamcast <laughs> which i think is really interesting so yeah um vampire master of darkness or just master of darkness if you're looking mm. for the master system version um it's you it's the same usual differences so like the master system version the screen is much less cramped the sprites are much smaller so if you can play it on the master system i'd probably recommend that version first but yeah either way it's a cool cool game yeah that sounds really cool. Um, I, I quite like sort of Victorian London as a setting, and by that I mean specifically not a steampunk Victorian London setting. Just a, just a straight Victorian London. Yeah, you um, should definitely play this. Then. Yeah, I, I've played I've played a few games uh, that handle that really well over the years. There's quite an old um, sort of RPG slash adventure game on PC called Waxworks by Accolade. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. that had a really good. Um, a london segment there was a lot of sort of time traveling in that so you sort of like you go into different exhibits in this museum and one of them was jack the ripper era of london oh and okay th- and this was sort of um sort of mid mid 90s pc gaming so you had sort of this lovely dithered 256 color vga artwork of the streets of london you had to sort of avoid getting caught by the by the bobbies in their rounded police helmets and stuff because uh, they thought you might be jack the ripper because well why else would you be wandering around after dark looking for prostitutes um <laughs> but yeah that was really cool it was um it was a, a very good use of the setting and it's, it's always nice to see um that particular setting used without putting all the steampunk baggage that normally comes along with it because i've never really been a big fan of steampunk to be honest and I, I often find that when there's a steampunk aesthetic, I often find myself just wishing it was just a bit more conventional. So it's mm. uh, it's cool to hear that there is uh, there is a game like that that adopts that kind of aesthetic. Yeah, it's really neat. I was excited when the second level was in a wax museum. Oh, nice. Yeah. So like you, you know, like you, you walk past, and like some of the figures will come alive and chase you after you walk past them. Like this little <laughs> little cool stuff like that. It, it's a really neat game. Yeah, oh, I'll have to check that out. Sounds good. I'm sure there'll be some video footage of it in this uh, in this podcast. All right. Anything else you've been up to? No, that's Sonic? it. All right. Uh, okay. There's a well, lot of Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's cut that segment short for now then, and then we will get into a substantial discussion of Sonic in our next one then. So we'll see you in just a moment. Welcome back. For our third segment, we're going to be talking about Sonic the Hedgehog. Now, uh, those of you who've been listening since our pilot episode will know that we've uh, we've brought up this subject a few times when we're talking about Sega and such like. But with me having spent the month on my way gamer exploring a bunch of Sonic games, some of which I've never played before, um, we thought it'd be a great idea to actually have a, a full-on discussion about it. Because uh, Chris, I know, is a big Sonic fan. I'm someone who has always enjoyed the Sonic games, but 
as I've mentioned a few times, uh, the more recent ones are ones that I, that I haven't played at all, basically. I kind of uh, fell off following the series after about Sonic Adventure 2 on the Dreamcast, so this month has uh, more than anything been an excuse for me to catch up on some of the later games and uh, find out what's up with some of them. So, um, Chris, first of all, I think the first thing I want to ask you is um, you obviously have a lot of love for the sonic series in general um where do you think that came from in the first place why do you like it so much well i mean i was a sega kid Mm -hmm. so i mean a a lot of that comes from just sonic is what i had you know like i had an eight i had a nintendo growing up so like i had mario one through three but when 16-bit rolled around like i remember very specifically my parents actually took me to a store um, we had an electronics store that was right down the street from our house. It was called Best. Not Best yeah. Buy, which is called Best. <laughs> and and uh, Best usually had pretty much everything on display. Um, oh, you know, Best was a department store, and they just had a nice electronics section. Yeah. So they always had, like, games on demo, and they had a Super Nintendo and a Genesis, and my parents said, all right, like, play these. And then... They, they didn't tell me they were going to buy me one, mm-hmm. but it was just like, all right, which one did you like better? And like Sonic was the one I liked better. <laughs> like, like it was Sonic 1 was running on the Genesis and like Mario was running on the, the Super Nintendo. And I remember yeah. very specifically saying like, I- I've had enough Mario, like this Sonic thing feels different mm. than from Mario and I've had enough Mario. So... Like, this is what I want. And then, I, then my parents got me a Genesis. And so I didn't have a Super Nintendo till I was in my mid-20s. Right. Um, so I, I just, I don't know. There's something about Sonic that it was different than Mario that appealed to me. Yeah. I, I think a lot of it has to do, it, you know, because me, I, I go, vis- I'm a visual guy, right? Like, yeah. a, like, like an impactful visual presentation really really grabs me and like there's just always something especially about like early sonic's um focus on like abstract geometry in its Mm -hmm. stages that appealed to me like early sonic stages like you can they're not like shy about the their tiles and like they look like they're made of like blocks or like pieces of like abstract geometric shapes and there's just always something about that that like appealed to me like the checker like the the iconic like checkerboard patterns in the green hill zone right Mm -hmm. like so i think the visuals had a lot to do with it and just the focus on movement and stuff i think yeah yeah i mean i I think i had i had a similar sort of reaction to it i mean i had a super nes rather than a mega drive growing up um, but I always found Sonic to be more impressive than Mario. I don't know if it was just because I'd, I'd played more Mario games by that point, and so I was taking them a bit for granted, like you say, I'd already had my fill of Mario or something. But the first time I played Sonic was was really impressive. I mean, I was in that sort of era, I was really impressed by stuff like uh, lots of layers of parallax scrolling and that sort of thing. And Sure. Uh, first level of Green Hill Zone has got that lovely parallax scrolling on the water in the background and that sort of thing. Lots of layers of it. And I thought that was really cool. And I like the variety in the stages. I know Super Mario World has got some variety in its stages, but there's there's sort of a, a consistent look and feel to most of the levels in Super Mario World. Whereas in Sonic, you've got these discrete zones that each have their own soundtrack, they each have their own tile sets, they each have their own set of enemies and so on. And I, I, I really like that. And um, 
the stuff like I had the Marble Zone theme stuck in my head for ages after I played it for the first time, and that yeah, kind of thing. yeah, and yeah, it was just immediately striking to me. So, despite never owning my own Mega Drive, whenever my brother came home because he was working on a Mega Drive magazine at the time, whenever he came home with a Mega Drive in tow, uh, yeah, I'd always make sure to spend some time playing Sonic or Sonic Two um, later on. So yeah, that was uh, that was sort of my initial uh, reactions to it. Um, I had a friend who was uh, a Sega kid as well, so we we played a lot of Sonic Two, uh, two player after school. Oh sure. Um, so we had a lot of fun with that, and uh, yeah, so it's so a lot of, lot of fun memories there. Um, and then obviously when we get a, a little bit later into the Dreamcast era and so on, Sonic Adventure was one of the first games everyone got on their Dreamcast, I think, just because it was oh, a new Sonic game, first Sonic game in 3D, very exciting, uh, and that kind of thing. So, um, so, I mean, let's talk a bit about the development of the series and uh, and, and how you think that's gone and what, what you think it's uh, it's done well to evolve over the years. So... Starting with that 16-bit era, then. Um, I mean, do you, do you have a favorite 16-bit Sonic game? Yeah, I mean, it's Sonic 2, which I uh-huh. think is, you know, the same for a lot of people. I think 2 just kind of... I don't know. I guess to describe really what I love most about Sonic 2, I kind of have to talk a little bit about kind of what Sonic is to me. Like, what mm. I really think is kind of like at the core of Sonic. Yeah. Which is movement. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think a lot of people kind of miss the forest for the trees when they say that, like, well, Sonic's all about speed. Mm-hmm. Like, and I do think Sonic places a certain emphasis on speed, obviously. But I don't think the core focus on Sonic is in Sonic is speed specifically. Mm-hmm. I, I think Sonic, from a design perspective as a series, is infatuated with movement. Right, and now speed and momentum are very important parts of that obsession with movement, but there's just more to Sonic than just speed. Mm -hmm. It's management of momentum. Yes. Stage gimmicks that are all, that are largely focused on physics, even mechanisms that depend on physics, spring, you know, the springs, uh, walls you can crash through if you've got enough speed going on. Like, it's all just about velocity and movement and weight so i thought you know obviously there were stage gimmicks in sonic one like various springs and platforms and stuff you know i remember the the swinging platform on the chain like i remember the first time i saw that as a kid being like amazed by it but like sonic 2 specifically took that extra step to introduce unique stage gimmicks in every single level so, you know, you come in mm-hmm. the first level of Sonic 2, you know, you've got the classic Sonic loop-de-loops, but then it introduced those, like, those ribbons that you could run, you know. And it was just a graphical trick, but oh, yes, it was, you know, yes. unlike anything you'd ever seen before with those ribbons that you could run on sideways. Um, you get to Chemical Plant. All right, now you can jump into these tubes that, like, are going to jettison you, like, all over the place. Uh, with the sp- and then, and those springboards, where if you were running and you 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 would launch off those springboards, like diving board style, and they would like send you like spinning through the air, like yeah yeah. Then you get to the next level. Uh, what, what was level three of Sonic Two? Was that? Oh yeah yeah yeah. It was Aquatic Ruins. Was after Chemical Plant. Okay yeah. So Aquatic Ruins had the 
the arrows that would shoot out. Yeah. Right? Like the like the, the Indiana Jones style traps everywhere trying to stop you. Um you know, the Mystic Cave had like levers you had to seek out. Um the hilltop zone had um platforms that would catch on fire (laughs) (laughs) and those really cool seesaws that you could jump on and then it would shoot that enemy up in the air and then he would land and then his weight would launch you like it's like every level in sonic 2 had some kind of thoughtful movement based stage gimmick that was fairly unique to that stage and i just remember as a kid hitting each stage and like feeling like it was just this own contained playground with its own unique take on how to move, how to navigate. And, like, there's just something about that, like, really strong and, like, bold approach to, like, design that always, like, cemented Sonic 2 in my head as one of my favorite mm-hmm. games of all time. Not just my favorite Sonic, yeah. but, like, that's, like, Sonic 2 is my, like, I'm having a really bad day. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> game. And it's, and it's like, like, Sonic 2. Like, boot up Sonic 2. How much of Sonic 2 can I get through tonight? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think Sonic 2 is probably my favorite of the 16-bit ones as well, for, for very similar reasons, just because it's it's a game that I boot up and I, I feel good about playing it. It's it, It's got just a really nice balance of um, gameplay styles and appealing graphics and great music and interesting zones to explore. I think one thing worth highlighting in Sonic is what uh, that I, I've always really enjoyed is that going through the zones always feels like you're exploring, but without getting bogged down in it. So mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like you're in a maze or anything, but it always feels like that there are different ways you could go. And if you went a different way or if you were a bit more skillful at uh, timing your jumps or that sort of thing, you'd be able to find something rewarding. And the game is really good at teasing you with that sort of thing as well. The whole, All of the 2D 16-bit games in particular are really good at teasing you with things. Like they'll put a power-up on top of a loop-the-loop or something like that. And as you sort of speed past it, you'll think, well, how on earth could I have possibly got that? And you'd mm-hmm. have to find another route round to do that. And that would that would encourage exploration of the levels rather than just charging straight through them. I mean, of course, there was incentive to just charge straight through them as quickly as possible as well because you get more points and so on. And you, the game was sort of built for speedrunning in that way as well. But it was... A, a series of games that you could kind of approach how you wanted to really so if you enjoyed that exploration side of things there was always multiple routes to go uh things to discover secrets to find and that kind of thing even if you played it through multiple times so i mean i i'm still finding new things in sonic levels today that i have no no idea about so yeah and if you're if you're in the headspace when you play a sonic game that's only about speed mm-hmm then you miss all of this. Yes. Yes. Because if all you're doing is running from left to right as fast as possible and and obsessing over speed, you're missing all these visual cues, you're missing all these branching paths, you're miss, you know, you're you're leaving out an entire part of Sonic's design philosophy that's like core to the series yeah. if all you're doing is obsessing about yeah. speed. And there are sequences where the game likes to troll you for that as well, aren't there? So there'll be like bits where you could you could run at full tilt down this corridor, but there'll be like a wall of spikes waiting for you at the other end and that sort of thing. So it kind of demands that you you're paying attention to what you're doing, even if you're going fast as well. So it's uh, yeah, that's that's something that was often frustrating, but I I kind of respected it for kind of knowing what the player was likely to be doing at that point and putting something there specifically to mess with you. 
It's funny too because it's almost like, in a way, the design of the game is also kind of playing into this narrative about Sonic. Yeah. So, like, part of Sonic as a character, especially once we get into like the existence of like the comics and the cartoons and the games that have more narrative, is like sometimes Sonic is his own worst yes. enemy. Like some, like sometimes Sonic is too cocky. Like his attitude is a problem. He gets himself in trouble. So, like. That's actually baked into the design of some of the oh, levels. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're you're getting cocky. Oh, you think your speed is the only way to beat this level? <laughs> like, bam! Like, here's a pit. <laughs> like, like don't like don't get too cocky. Yeah. Like, pay attention to your surroundings. Be clever. That's cool. That that's baked into the way these levels are mm. made. Yeah. Um. So you mentioned the the comics and like the TV shows and stuff like that. How how familiar are you with those? Because I I, I never really had any contact with those growing up. I'm not really. Um, I watched the, you know, when I was a kid, there was the two dueling cartoons. Yes. So there was the silly one, and then there was, like, the one that tried to have, like, a serious comic-style narrative. Yeah. Like, I very distinctly remember hating the serious cartoon. <laughs> like, thinking it was trying way too hard, like, and I really didn't like the visual style of it, because it was, like, a, it was distinct. It was really like distinctly Western, like comic, um, and I just did. I didn't like it. I didn't like the way Robotnik looked. I didn't like the other characters as much. So like, I only ever watched like the silly cartoon, mm -hmm. like the comedy, like the comedy focused one with the goofy, with the goofy like premises yeah. and the Sonic says educational segments. <laughs> Bef if someone touches you, that's no good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, don't talk to strangers, don't do drugs, eat your chili dogs. <laughs> um, but, so, I'm not terribly familiar. I'm not a comic book guy in general, mm -hmm. so I never really read or was too familiar with the Archie comics. Um, just from an art perspective, like, I, you know, I've always been interested, like, when the new ones come out, I would, like, go online and check out the covers and yeah. stuff, because I like, I like Sonic art. But, like, I never read them because I'm just not a comic book guy. So, like, most of my knowledge does come from the, the mm -hmm. games, not from not from any of the alternative stuff. Okay. All right, yeah. I, well, I mean, like I say, I'm not hugely familiar with them. I, in fact, I think I only watched a couple of episodes of The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog for the first time a couple of weeks ago, to be honest. So, uh, I, I, they somehow passed me by when I was a kid, so... All right, okay. I just wanted to bring that up just in case you had anything to say on that subject. Yeah. Um, there isn't also a third cartoon that like never gets talked about. Yes. <laughs> Sonic Underground, which is like a terrible rock and roll themed <laughs> Sonic. I've never heard of that one. Yeah, that one doesn't seem. Oh, you, oh, did you think I was talking about the anime yeah, I was Sonic say, X? I, I, I okay. That one doesn't even seem to get brought up on like the wiki sites <laughs> and stuff like that. Is was, is that the shameful <laughs> secret of Sonic? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah oh it, it's beyond shameful you have to look it up now it's it's like there's like it's like a post-apocalyptic sonic narrative where like rock and roll has been like outlawed and but like also like rock and roll is like the only way to like fight the bad guys and like there's like a prophecy and like hedgehog babies that like can rock and, and like form a rock band it's like 
it doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's like terrifying. <laughs> it, you should definitely look definitely. it up. But yeah, so there's so there's four cartoons, right? So there's Son- the, the the two ones from the '90s when I was a yeah. kid. Then there's Sonic Underground, which is hilarious and how awful it is. And then there's the anime Sonic X, which or Sonic Cross or whatever we want to call it, which was post Sonic Adventure era Sonic. So yeah. it has. Like Rouge and Cream and like all those modern characters are in the mix. Yeah, which is not—it's not that bad. I mean, it's just—it's a kids' anime, so like it's—it's—it's it's, it's cute and it's okay. Like my little sister had a box set of the whole thing, so I've watched a couple episodes of it. Okay, okay. So um, talking of uh, things like Sonic Adventure and stuff, so what was what was your first reaction to Sonic Adventure? Uh, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I mean. Uh, it it obviously it took some time to adapt to how different yeah. it is, especially because, I mean, at that point we already had 3D platformers, yes. right? When we had Mario 64, we had Banjo Kazooie. So like going into Sonic Adventure, I feel like there was kind of a certain expectation of how a 3D platformer was supposed to yes, play. Yes, yes, exactly. And Sonic Adventure wasn't interested in playing that no. way. So there was kind of a period of adaptation, of of learning how to engage with it on its own terms, which is something everyone who plays video games needs to do. Um, But once you learn how Sonic Adventure wants you to play it, and you play with its systems instead of playing against its systems, like, I loved it, and I still love it today. Mm. I still love most 3D Sonic today. Yeah, I I mean, I remember being... uh obviously first of all very impressed with the 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 visual style and the music and stuff but yeah i was also very struck with how different it was to 3d platformers at the time and it that seemed like something that was really obvious to me just just the way it was designed was obviously completely different to something like mario 64 or banjo kazooie or whatever but I, i i remember reading reviews and stuff at the time and a lot of people just didn't seem to get that they see they seemed to want sonic in mario 64 or something like that and I, th- I think that's something that's kind of always plagued the series a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, just these these sort of expectations that are set by other games, and then Sonic goes off and plays by its own rules. Uh, often drawing a lot of influence from the older games, from the older 16-bit games, with the, the the sort of obvious path through the level, maybe with a few branching routes along the way, um, rather than these more sort of open environments that a lot of people had, had become used to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I remember really enjoying Sonic Adventure and being being impressed by it. And uh, I wasn't sure what to make of um, sort of the characters having voices all of a sudden because that was obviously a very big adjustment for the series at that point. And having not watched the cartoons or read the comics or anything like that, I wasn't used to these characters talking at all at the time. Um, is that, is it, so, I mean, what did you make of that aspect of it? I mean, I was okay mm-hmm. with it, <laughs> like having had a little bit more experience with the the other supplemental materials. Yeah. But it, you know, it didn't. It wasn't jarring to mm-hmm. me or anything, and I liked it because I liked. I've always loved these characters, so I was excited that they were becoming characters yeah. now, right? Like that there was a narrative now that they had personalities and interests and goals, and it was cool to kind of explore. You know, I remember loving like, to the, well to this day. Like, I love to call. Yes. Um, and and like and like her theme and like that whole like the whole thing like the ancient 
with the ancient stuff with chaos like as part of the narrative mm. in the sonic adventure i love all yeah. that so like just that like that they were fleshing out all that stuff and like l- looking at like knuckles the echidna as like the last guardian of like the chaos and like tying that to like the ancient world and like these flashbacks like i loved it i loved that they were adding a bit of like almost jrpg like narrative kind of stuff to this world like so i could become even more invested in it well i mean that was that was sort of the original intention for sonic adventure wasn't it the original sort of design for it was they wanted to make an rpg sonic sort of inspired by stuff like final fantasy and such like and it ended up being a bit more heavy on the sort of platform action type stuff but there's yeah there's definitely still very much hints of that along the way um yeah with like the city acting as that hub like you can you can find like the kernels of like an action rpg Mm -hmm. in there yeah so um so i enjoyed that a lot um sonic adventure 2 uh as i say is where i kind of fell off the series it wasn't because i didn't like it it was just because that was in that sort of weird crossover period where the dreamcast was kind of winding down and the ps2 was getting exciting and that sort of thing so i think i think sonic adventure 2 i i just got distracted by something else and didn't end up playing it a, a great deal so um having revisited it recently though i i did enjoy what i played and again it's it's quite interesting in that it goes a lot into the backstory of these characters that you i mean if you're not overly familiar with the Sonic series, it's easy to kind of dismiss it as, as sort of shallow fluff, basically. It's just, just colourful animals running around doing things. But you look at the two Sonic Adventure games in particular, and there's actually a really surprising amount of thought and effort gone into the backstory of the characters and the overall lore of the world and how it all fits together. Um, so what, what did you think of, uh, of Sonic Adventure 2? Did you, did you play that one that much? I I didn't play two as much as I played one because I just I found it didn't click with me as strongly right. as one did. Um, mainly because as as we were kind of just touching on, like I felt that I missed the the grandness of scope of the original. Right. What isn't isn't in two? Two is just like there's a stage select mm-hmm. basically, and like so like I missed all that little those little touches. Like I missed that there was a little hub yeah. world that you could explore a little bit, and I, I missed kind of all that so it just didn't feel as as big to me like sonic adventure 2 always kind of felt a little rushed to me yeah and all and all and also i didn't like the robotnik and tails like shooty mech segments (laughs) at all like at all so like uh, like two two kind of turned me off a little bit i I still respect it a lot but i don't like it nearly as much as i did the first one it's interesting that you say that it's it it didn't feel quite as big as the other i mean i know what you mean by that i i kind of miss the adventure aspects of it as well but if you play it all the way through the the overall plot of it is seriously huge in scope i mean there's there's Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's not yeah, what I yeah, meant. Yeah. I just meant I, I meant in terms of the actual design, yeah. like it, how you interact with that mm-hmm. world. Like it missed some of that RPG ness. Right. Okay. Um, but then it, it then it sort of also went on with the, with things like the the incentive to replay the levels with the missions and such like. I mean, is is that ever a side of it that you've engaged with much? I, I no, I, not 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 to a particularly strong so you, degree. So I you're sort of you, you're, you're sort bit, of play through it for the story and, and enjoy it, and then you're done with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. That's most games uh-huh. for me. 
uh, I just I, there's too many games I want to play. So like, so like I, I often don't engage much with games on like the challenge yeah. level, right? It's more like I, I play them for the narrative and to collect the things I want to collect. But it's very rare in any game that I go back to like get S ranks yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It's just it's just not who I am yeah. as a gamer. I'm the same in most cases. I mean, a lot of RPGs I will try and do as much as possible. But something like Sonic, uh, which is obviously has obviously been written and designed in such a way for you to enjoy the stories you go through and it has a very definite conclusion i i never really feel the incentive to go back and and do the other stuff i mean it's nice that it's there for those who want to get a bit more time and enjoyment out there and i think that aspect of things very much reflects sega's arcade background as well just because it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of the pursuit of high scores and good times and that sort of thing and it adds it adds a lot of longevity to the game if you're that kind of gamer but at the same time there's no obligation to engage with it this is probably the ideal way of implementing that sort of thing really rather than making anything dependent on um sort of getting the best possible ranks or good times or that sort of thing so um with that in mind let's talk a bit about sonic heroes um so i was i was just reading up on sort of thoughts on previous sonic games from various outlets uh, the other day uh, and i saw sonic heroes described as uh, abysmal which is <laughs> yeah, that's which is a statement I very much disagree with, um, but I, I know you're a big fan of Sonic Heroes. So, so what what kind of attracted you to that? What what kind of got you back on board after Sonic Adventure Two? Then with that one, uh, I just and I know like I'll contradict myself right because <laughs> Sonic Sonic Heroes also kind of lacks what Sonic Two also Adventure mm-hmm. Two also lacked. It was pretty much just like stage to stage with a narrative in yeah. between, but. I just felt it was a better game. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't, I don't, I can't be more. You know, I know that's stupid and vague, but like, I just felt like Sonic Heroes played tighter. It was more tightly designed. Yeah. Like Sonic Adventure Two feels really like loose and sloppy mm-hmm. to me. Like, I with Sonic Adventure Two, like it was one of those like games where it's like, oh, isn't it trying its hardest? <laughs> like, like. I knew what they were trying to go for. I respected it, but like, it often just wouldn't do what I wanted it to right. do. Like Sonic Sonic Heroes kind of delivered on a lot of the promises of Sonic Adventure yeah. 2 with its strong focus on like sp- these speed and linear levels yeah. and it and it took a lot of what Sonic Adventure 2 wanted to do and it just kind of refined it better mm-hmm. on slightly newer hardware with better capabilities so like it, it basically felt like a delivery of Adventure 2's promise. Yeah. I think it sort of set expectations a bit better as well. Um, so while while Sonic Adventure 2 had that adventure word in in the title, I think a lot of people were coming to that still expecting another experience like Sonic Adventure with the hub worlds and that sort of thing. And I think that probably hurt a lot of people's perception of it. Um, with, with regards to things like the controls and stuff, have you played any of the more recent versions of it? Have you played like the GameCube or the PC versions of it at all? Oh, Sonic Heroes? No, of, uh, Sonic, uh, Sonic Adventure 2. Uh, no, no, I only ever played the Dreamcast originals. Okay, um, that's interesting, because I, I played the PC port uh, recently, which is a port of the GameCube version, I think, but it's also got some, it's had some enhancements since that version as well, so it runs in full HD, it runs in widescreen, it runs at 60 frames a second, um, and it, it, it feels a lot better than what you're describing there, so I, I, I wonder if you tried a more recent version of that game, you might respond a bit better to it. Oh, it's very hmm. likely. I mean, part of also part of also what is what is in my head might just be the Dreamcast controller, which is a terrible <laughs> controller. Yes, <laughs> so, could well be terrible analog stick, terrible buttons. Yeah. So, I mean, 
also we're talking over a decade absolutely ago, right yeah. like when did sonic adventure 2 come out like i probably haven't played it since three months at max after yeah. it came out on the dreamcast like so I have a feeling if I approached it now at 33, my ability to appreciate it would probably be much mm-hmm. different because I was in my late teens when that game yeah. came out. Okay. All right. Well, back to Sonic Heroes. I mean, I, I this is this is a game I hadn't played at all before um, this month, um, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. I thought there was a lot of variety to the levels with the different characters. I really like how the different teams are. There's sort of a difficulty select in some ways. Uh, but they also each have their own unique mechanics and twists on things as well. So sort of playing through as uh, Amy's team, Team Rose, you get the shortest versions of the levels. Uh, playing as Sonic, you get sort of mid-length versions of the levels that take sort of 10 to 15 minutes to complete. Dark Team, you get the longest versions of the levels. And then Team Chaotix, you get all these objective-based things to do as well. So the way that was implemented... It, it, it made me not mind having to replay those levels because you're going through you're going through the exact same stages in the same order with each team but the way the characters were put in there and the fact that you're each each set of them is doing a slightly different part of the level made it feel like a distinct experience each time um as i've said in a previous podcast narrative isn't really sonic heroes strong point um, but that that helps with things as well. There, there, there is a, a sort of incentive to proceed with wanting to see what's what's going to happen next. But the emphasis in Sonic Heroes very much feels like it's on the gameplay. And it, I've seen it often described as an attempt to sort of recapture the um, the feeling and the structure of the 16-bit games, but in 3D. And I, I'd kind of agree with that. Um, just in, in terms of the stage structure and even aspects of the presentation, like the splash screen you get before levels is exactly the same as it is in Sonic 2, for example. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that game. Um, the only aspect I wasn't a big fan of um, was the the fact that the the true ending in that one was locked off uh, behind having to do all the special stages like it was in the old 16-bit games. Oh, that's rough. So whereas in Sonic Adventure 1 and 2, you could get the true ending just by completing all the character storylines, uh, in Sonic Heroes, you have to do the special stages... Uh, and get the Chaos Emeralds, and the special stages in Sonic Heroes are not very good. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that- I mean they're fi- they're fine in principle. They're they're kind of uh, uh, an adaptation of uh, Sonic 2's um, special stages, in that you're running down a big tube, collecting rings, and avoiding bombs and stuff. But it's one part of the game that the the controls just don't really work in. So, like, for, for most of the game, the controls are pretty tight, and they do what you want them to do. Um, but as soon as you put these characters running on a flat plane down a down a, a tube, um, it kind of gets very difficult to control. And I, I haven't managed to get any of the Chaos Emeralds, and it's not through lack of trying. I mean, I've, I've, I've beaten the game with the other teams. It's just the, the special stages are... I don't know if I'm doing something wrong or if they're just not very well implemented, but... Yeah, it, it feels like I am unlikely to see that true ending in Sonic Heroes, <laughs> which, which is a bit of a shame. Um, to YouTube. <laughs> That's yeah. one aspect of Sonic I've never really engaged with. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I, I don't think I've ever gotten all the Chaos Emeralds in any Sonic game. I, I did in Sonic 1, which in retrospect I don't know how to do, because I hate those special stages in Sonic 1. <laughs> yeah, Sonic special stages in general... Um, I, well, not in general, because I I 
love the Sonic 3 special stages so much it hurts. Yeah, I like Sonic 2 and I like Sonic 3 a lot. Uh, Sonic 1, no. <laughs> Just no, no, I don't like Sonic 2 either. I don't like the half-pipe no. levels at all, at all. So what you're describing in Heroes sounds like I... I no, I probably played it back when it first came out. I just blocked it out of my memory entirely. <laughs> Does not sound like something I'd enjoy. Yeah, but Sonic Three special stages with the with the blue sphere yes, is like great. my favorite. And there are they are in Mania yes. too. Yes, right, like new and they're new ones. So like, it's so good. Like when you look when you look at my like playthrough clock from my first playthrough of Sonic Mania it was like. 10 hours because i because i spent as much time as possible like every single lamppost i was like go to the blue sphere stage <laughs> like I, I like I, I like i'm pretty sure like like my seven hour playthrough like three and a half hours of that are blue sphere special stages <laughs> i love it so sometimes i'll put the the, the, the track on my ipad on, on my ipod and just like, listen to it when i drive to work yeah like that <laughs> The Sonic Mania remix of that theme is really good as well. I mean, Sonic Mania's got yes. great music anyway. That's a particular standout track for me from, from what I've heard of the soundtrack so far. Definitely. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> don't hit me. I'm going to bring up Shadow the Hedgehog. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I, know I won't hit you. I'll hit him. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you're not a fan of Shadow the character. Um, and yes. Popular opinion doesn't really like Shadow the Hedgehog the game either, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, uh, it's fun. Yeah, I don't care what other people say. The game is fun. Yeah, I mean, it's it's different to your typical Sonic game, but you know, it doesn't have Sonic in the title. So, what, what do you really expect? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a really interesting action game. It had some really nicely designed levels, some really cool set pieces. Um, had that really cool branching structure as well with the hero in dark mission, so you could you can play through it several times and have completely different levels. That sounded really cool when I read your write-up on that. Yeah, I, I, you know, my my engagement with the game was pretty cursory. Like, I don't own it. Yeah, I just I remember when it came out, I rented it or whatever. So it, it's been a long time since I played it. Yeah. So, so for those not familiar, this, the structure of Shadow the Hedgehog is that a single playthrough is six stages, um, and that takes you to the end of of a story. But each uh, level you play through has three possible conclusions based on what you do. Um, so partway through the level you will encounter one of the normal Sonic characters who will give you a hero mission uh, you'll encounter one of the villains who will give you a dark mission uh, or you can just make a beeline for the exit which is uh, considered the normal mission and based on which one of those you complete uh, you get um, you, you proceed onto a different level uh, on it, it's, a, it's a sort of outrun style pyramid so it kind of expands as you go through each stage sort of branches off in two different directions and then by the time you get to the sixth stage the sixth stage of each path I think it ends up with sort of five discrete paths by the end each of those has two different possible endings as well so there's ten different endings to the game based on whether you do a hero or a dark mission in the last level of each branch and then after that if you're still going um, there's there's a true ending after that as well. So there's there's a lot of replay value there, and it's not just playing through the 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 same stages to get S ranks or higher scores or whatever. You're actually playing completely different levels based on your actions, um, and that yeah, that's really cool to me. And that's yeah, it's neat. Yeah, that's something I hadn't seen discussed at all about it. So Shadow the Hedgehog is one of those Sonic games that is sort of commonly regarded to be bad for whatever reason. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of that, I think, comes from the fact that people don't like Shadow very much. 
And they, yeah, that's basically yeah. what it is. And yeah. I mean, it is quite hard to take him seriously because the the intro sequence to Shadow the Hedgehog is hilarious, and I can't quite make out if they wanted it to be taken seriously or if they knew exactly what they were doing but it's got sort of like shadow standing on top of this ruined road with flames behind him and he comes out and he pulls two uzis out and he's sort of shooting them like an action hero and part of me suspects that they knew exactly what they were doing there and they were like this oh for sure they were like this is ridiculous come on people are going to love this and it turned out everyone hated it because they missed the joke but (laughs) <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever stood in front of fire and shot Uzis off. Yeah, in a, in a serious context <laughs> since the mid eight since the mid eighties, yeah. I feel like it's always tongue in cheek if that's going on at this point. I, I discovered recently that the um, the Sonic the Hedgehog pack for Lego Dimensions. Uh, there's a scene in that where there's like uh, Sonic and Knuckles and Shadow. They're all standing around together. Um, and Shadow j- just like pulls out a gun from somewhere, and Knuckles just slaps it out of his hand. It's brilliant. That's awesome. <laughs> so you won't be needing that here. Um, but yeah, Shadow the Hedgehog, I, re- I really enjoyed. So that's definitely one that people should check out. It, it, it's it's one of those games that sort of concerns me a bit. That popular opinion or or press opinion or a combination of both has gone to such a degree that people will just refuse to check it out and judge it for themselves just because it is supposedly so legendarily awful that it's it's sort of going to be lost to a lot of people just because they they will refuse to check it out in the first place and that's a bit sad to me really it's very sad yeah um which brings me to sonic 2006 um which is actually the game that i was most interested to look at when i decided to do this month of sonic coverage on my gamer because um i mean wikipedia describes this as not only one of the worst games in the sonic franchise but in the entire video game medium <laughs> which is a pretty grandiose claim to make to be honest um, if we're holding it up to superman 64 <laughs> this must be, truly this truly must be terrible yeah right? but you know i booted it up i played a bit my xbox didn't explode my controller didn't catch fire uh, i didn't get any horrible diseases or anything like that and uh, you know i was having a pretty good time with it uh, i am now roughly sort of 15 hours into it and i'm still having a good time with it and i'm just like um what what happened what happened here? <laughs> well, you are playing something outside of the bubble, yeah. right? You're you're engaging with it on its own terms. You're not worried about hype. You're not worried about other people's opinions. Yeah. You're just playing the game. Yeah. I mean, before I go any further, I will acknowledge that there are a couple of the criticisms that do have some merit. It does have awful load times, um, which can be mitigated somewhat by installing the game to your Xbox hard drive, which I, I can't remember when they introduced that feature in the Xbox OS. But it, it may have not been present when it when Sonic 06 was originally released on the Xbox. But you, you Can we just say that, I don't know how you feel about this, but long load times is not a valid criticism of a game. No, it's, it's, it's not something that's ever bothered me, really. I mean, I grew up uh, playing games on the Atari. One of my favorite games was called Alternate Reality that came on two double-sided discs that you had to swap roughly every five minutes. Um, so, you know... <laughs> I can I can deal with that sort of thing. So Sonic O Six does. It's not just bad load times. It's it's there are some bad implementations of load times. So so there will oh. there will be a bit where uh, you will start a mission and there will be a load screen of uh, that will just take you to the person telling you what the mission is. And then there will be another load screen before the actual mission starts. And there was there is, oh, there is terrible. there is probably a better way they could have done that. Um, but most of the times when that is an actual issue is in 
stuff that is optional anyway it, it you, you have a, a sort of open world hub world like sonic adventure in this and most of the time some stuff like that happens it is optional missions that you don't need to do at all it's it's all stuff you need to do just if you want to get 100 percent completion on the game so if that side of things bothers you you can ignore it pretty much completely and when you get into the actual stages they are really really good so we've got a high definition sonic game running at 60 frames a second here it's got really really satisfying combat because there's there's a strong emphasis on um sort of fighting robots in this and rather than the sort of cute animal robots that they are in uh, in traditional sonic games to go with the sort of overall darker tone of it um they're, so, okay. they're sort of more mech style enemies um and they are um you hit them and they they explode and they shatter to pieces really satisfyingly there's some really excellent sound effects as you slam into them with sonic or you kick them in the head with shadow or you throw things at them with uh, with silver um and that side of things is is really good so the combat feels really nice it sounds really nice uh, there's little refinements to the formula like sonic's homing attack feels like it's been really nicely tightened up and it does things like it locks onto grinding rails and stuff now which it didn't do in sonic heroes um so there's a lot of aspects of it that where, where things have really been tightened up from the old ones and i love sonic's homing attack btw yeah like yeah in modern games i love it yeah and it's it's a particularly good implementation of it in this one um just because dealing with the enemies is so satisfying um so the other common criticisms that come in are um the camera which is it's not the best camera i've seen in a game but it's certainly far from unplayable as well so it's a little bit twitchy at times but it's it, it does the job so it kind of handles it a bit like the old sonic adventure games did with um on sort of consoles that didn't have a second analog stick in that it tries its best to sort of try and frame the action automatically rather than demanding that you rotate it all the time but you i like that yeah i like that as about well. modern about modern sonic specifically it's one of the things i like most about modern sonic yeah is that i don't have the expectation to control the camera and that it's always trying to present me with angles that they have decided from a directorial standpoint this is what you want to be seeing at this point in yes. this level yes i love that yeah and i think that works really well here as well there there are a couple of instances uh sort of mostly while again while you're wandering around town and stuff where it'll sort of flicker a little bit while you sort of go up from the road onto a sidewalk or something like that but, but again that's just so nitpicky that it's not really worth bothering with no um and then, like like I say, you've got three different characters you can play as in this. Um, so you have you have Sonic Story, which is all you can access to begin with. Then, as part of Sonic Story, you get a bit of time to play as uh, Tails um, and as Knuckles as well. Uh, oh, cool! I didn't realize. Yeah, that yeah, they all had playable segments. Yeah, so 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 while while each of the three episodes kind of focuses on one character. Um, they tend to have at least one episode that focuses exclusively on another character who's doing something else while Sonic or whoever is, is doing the main plot. But then there's also levels where they have like a guest character following along with them and there'll be a sequence where they go, oh, you take over and go and do this now. So there'll be like a high platform that Tails needs to go and get, something like that. So you have a little sequence where you're playing as Tails, where you can fly. This game sounds awesome. It's great. It's great. I honestly, honestly, I've been playing it, and all the while I've been playing it, I've just been thinking, what is everybody on? 
just pick yeah, up. Yeah, like, this game sounds legit awesome. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go on eBay and try to get a copy as soon as we're done here. I mean, seriously. Um, yeah, and then the, the other aspect of it that people seem to complain about a bit is, is the plot. Um, this is going to be very much a love it or hate it sort of thing because it is quite different in tone from previous Sonics. But I think it works. Um, I mean, it, it is it is quite sort of earnest in how it does things. It plays things pretty straight, um, but it, it doesn't forget how to have fun. Like it has Amy being stupid in it, and it has um, sort of uh, Knuckles and Rouge sort of having a bit of sexual tension between them and that sort of thing. And but it's it's an interesting story. It's 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 not just simple. Eggman wants to take over the world, although that is part of it. But there's there's sort of this other aspect of stuff as well. They introduce the other characters quite nicely. So Shadow comes along and sort of he he's he's friends with Sonic by this point, so he's sort of supporting him and so on. And then this new guy Silver um, is from the future. So sort of the basic concept of the game is that um, there is this um, sort of guardian deity of the main city that is uh, controlled by the uh, the royal bloodline and at the start of the game um, Eggman does something that seems to sort of trigger some sort of mass cataclysm or, or Sonic sees a vision of uh, Eggman causing this mass cataclysm and basically the point of the game is to try and stop that and part of the game involves going into the future a bit like in uh, sort of Sonic CD and seeing the consequences of what Eggman has done so you've got a ruined city and uh, this new character Silver is from this ruined future and so he's coming back and trying to sort things out and it sort of intertwines with all the other plots and then they all come together in the end and then there's sort of a final chapter when you completed all three of them yeah I'm really enjoying it and it sounds cool. Yeah. Is Blaze is Blaze? Yes, in that yes, one? Blaze is in it. Blaze is uh, sort of a support character for Silver, um, and you, you get some time to play as her. Um, she's really cool. So she's like super fast, but she's also got this really neat um, like a tornado attack. So you'll be running along, you hold down the attack button, and then let go, and she'll just start spinning around. Um, and while she's spinning on the ground, you can just like slam her into enemies and stuff, basically, and. Yeah, it's just really, really fun and satisfying. Yeah, it sounds great. I don't, get, <laughs> I don't get it. I, I've got to play this. This is crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Modern Sonic's not bad at all. Yeah. Like, in prep for today, like I went back. I don't have that many modern Sonic games just because, I don't know. Uh, at some point, you can't buy every video game you want, yeah. right? So like, I have post Sonic Heroes. I have Sonic Generations. Mm-hmm. And I have Lost World on the Wii U. Yes. So, like, I've been dipping back into those a little bit this week just to refresh myself. So I had some stuff to talk about RE Modern Sonic because mm, I, sure. I knew you were gonna be, I knew you were gonna be boned up on Heroes, and I knew you were gonna be playing 2006 and have some interesting things to say about that. Yeah. But like, just in playing Generations and in playing Lost World again, I'm just struck by how fantastic these games are. Yeah. Like, you know, I was specifically, you know. Part of our kind of rekindling of talking about Sonic so much lately came from like way back in our pilot episode when we talked we talked about Sega specifically, and I mentioned Lost World, and like how much Lost World is like one of my favorite platformers in like recent history, mm-hmm. and like I was reminded of it so strongly last night um, because as I was playing it, I was just like, 
every now and then there's a very specific thought I have with certain video games, and the, those when games trigger this thought, they become like you know in my pantheon of favorites. Yeah. And that that specific thought is games like this are why I play video games. Yes. Yes. And like Sonic Lost World makes me think that like the entire time I'm playing. Mm. So I mean, was there something specific that triggered that thought last time, or? Well, it's just. Um, you know, I had mentioned earlier that one of the things that always endeared me to Sonic was its kind of unique sense of visual design, okay. especially in the 16-bit era. Yeah. Um, that, that got lost when Sonic made the transition to 3D, mm-hmm. right? So like, it was very much like... It, I mean, obviously it had its own kind of cartoony aesthetic, whatever, but it kind of... 3D Sonic lost that obsession with, like, kind of abstract, otherworldly geometry. Yeah. Sonic Lost World is uh, is the return to that. Okay. So, like, everything in Sonic Lost World is made of, like, abstract geometric shapes. They they have, like, the checkerboard patterns on them. So, like, it's very much specifically designed to be, like, a callback. And, like, in the same way you had mentioned that, like, Sonic Heroes very much feels like an attempt to recapture old 16-bit Sonic and kind of translate that into 3D, mm-hmm. to me, Sonic Lost World is that finally right. happened. Okay. Like, so, like... Heroes started that experimentation. Like Lost World is the successful implementation of that. Like to me, Lost World feels like the spirit of 16-bit Sonic, perfectly translated to a 3D world. Like I don't know how to describe how else to <laughs> say it really, but so you have the things you expect from modern Sonic. Like you have the lock-on attack and all that. Yeah. But it it kind of Sonic Lost World takes inspiration from. Um, I guess Mario Galaxy. So, like, the worlds are contained on, like, long tubes or spheres okay. that you run around. You run around the outside of with, like, with like gravity. Yeah. Like, keeps you to them. And, like, the stages will rotate to try to, like, keep you on top. But, like, I, it's really hard to describe without, like, looking at visuals of it. But, like, there's one, like, the very first level, like, at the is, is a, like, a pretty long, like, cylinder. And at the end of it, there's a windmill that rotates. But, like, it rotates around the cylinder entirely. So, like, if you jump on, like, the one of, like, the platforms on one of the blades of the windmill, you're just, like, you're riding it around the periphery of the entire 3D world that you're inhabiting. Okay. You're not just riding it around, like, a tower that the windmill is mounted to. Yeah. Right? It's, like... It's just crazy good. And, like, beautiful, beautiful, bright colors everywhere, like, accentuating the abstract geometries. And because it's not interested in portraying a realistic world, there is room for abstract things to happen. Yeah. So, like, the one of the levels I played last night took place completely in a world made of desserts. <laughs> so, so like, the, you're running on, like, loop-de-loops that are made of, like, licorice rope. Yeah. And like, like running around the outside of like giant donuts and like ma- ma- massive bis- like frosted biscuits are like rotating and like those are the platforms you're jumping on. And because it is 3D Sonic, and as we discussed with the camera angles in 3D Sonic, it doesn't give you control of the camera. It frames the action based on what it wants you to see as the stage progresses. Yeah. So, like, it shifts dynamically between, like, sometimes it's a side-scroller for half of this level. And then you'll round a corner, and then it'll open back up again onto, like, a sphere, and then it's free-roaming again. Mm. 
like so it, the cam the camera plays dynamically with perspective yeah and and presents you with different ways to engage with the levels as you progress some levels are just a pure side scroller level yeah. and then the next level is back to 3d again some levels are presented like a um like a free runner uh you know, like a bit trip runner yes. or whatever, yeah. where like if you mess up once, you slam into a wall, then you have to start back at the checkpoint. Mm-hmm. Like it's all within the same engine, but because of the unique geometry of the stages and clever use of the camera, s- levels actually feel mechanically differently. But it always feels like Sonic. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it it's great. Yeah, that one's on my list to cover, so um, I, I will get to that one eventually. But uh, yeah. So I'm looking forward to trying that one out. Uh, looking forward to trying Sonic Colors as well. I know that's a very well-regarded one, just generally, even by people who are normally like, Ooh, Sonic hasn't been good for a long time. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to trying yeah, that one and and Generations as well. I, I've played a little bit of that one previously and had a lot of fun mm-hmm. with it. So yeah, yeah, it's very looking good. Forward to that. Uh, Lost World is presented as a sequel to Colors. Oh, okay. So, like, in Lost World, like, in Colors, you got, like, the color sprites that, like, give you different powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, in, in Colors, like, that was the whole thing with Colors, right? There was the color sprites, and you would get them, and they would give you different powers to, like, interact with the stages or defeat enemies. Yeah. And then those return in Lost World. Okay. But in, like, new and different ways. So, like, because Lost World's a Wii U game, there's, like you interact with the gamepad a lot too okay so like you'll get one of the color sprites you can get as like a drill sprite and it's like when you use him you drill into the ground so when you drill into the ground you that goes into the touch screen on the wii u and then you control like where you're digging through the ground to like get power-ups and stuff on the touchpad oh, cool. or like you can do one like i'm the third like zone like the third world is like a tropical island world and you can get the drill guy again and he drills through the ground and then you're underwater yeah and then you can you control like submarine like underwater segments with the touchpad on the screen and then when the timer's up you zip back up into the world on top and then you're playing on the tv again yeah it's cool i haven't played colors um because that one's mostly a side scroller, isn't it? I, I don't as far think as I know, yeah, it's not one I know a lot about yet, and I haven't tried it yet. So, um, yeah, not not one I have uh, any experience with at all yet. But I know that it was very fondly regarded, quite possibly because it 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 uh, was sort of a return to two D style uh, gameplay, which I know is is what most people mean when they say Sonic hasn't been good for a while. They mean Sonic hasn't been two D for a while. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, technically speaking, at this point, there's more 3D Sonic games than there is 2D oh, yeah. Sonic games. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. But uh, Generations is great because Generations is like the best of both worlds. Yeah, because yeah, you have you have a bit of both in those, don't you? So you have side scroller levels and the 3D stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. So it alternates, right? So like the whole the thing with Generations is classic Sonic from the 16-bit era and modern Sonic exists in this like are have both been like sucked into this like weird dimension mm-hmm. together so like they recognize each other's existence <laughs> and like so like there's there's like jokes about that too it's like like when you, if you like when you find knuckles as classic sonic he's like did you put on some weight because like classic because <laughs> so- like classic sonic is often referred to as like chubby sonic yeah. quote unquote like that design so when you play as classic sonic the levels are side scrollers yeah. when you play it then when you visit act two as modern sonic the level plays as modern sonic so it's really cool 
but the the whole thing of generations is it's even before Mania, right? Generations was is all about the history of Sonic. Yes, yes, I know. There's a lot of sort of cameos of old levels and and stuff, isn't there? Right. So stage one is Green Hill Zone. Yeah. So it's cool because you play Green Hill Zone as classic Sonic as a side scroller with some modern twists. But then Act Two is Green Hill Zone as modern Sonic. Mm-hmm. So the the music, the visual style, and the gimmicks of Green Hill Zone recreated with modern Sonic's 3D, like running into the distance yeah. and using the lock-on attack and all that stuff. And then Stage Two is Chemical Plant Zone from Sonic Two. Yeah. Once again, presented in the same way. So it's cool to play Chemical Plant as modern Sonic. Like, with the stage completely reconstructed in 3D, with dynamic camera angles and, like, cool action happening. Yeah. Stage 3, I think, is is Angel Island from Sonic 3. I think that's the name of it. I don't... It's, it's like the lost, like that lost, like ancient world level where like the Chaos Emerald lives, yeah. which is kind of one of the, it's great. It's just a lot of fun. And then there's, uh, to get the Chaos Emeralds, you have to do race battles against Metal Sonic and it plays like the Sonic CD track from when oh, that okay. happens. Yeah. Like it's, it's all just like a cool tribute. And like, there's also like a joke, a running joke that like, you know, you had mentioned how weird it is to hear, originally to hear Sonic and those characters talk, yeah. but like, classic Sonic doesn't talk. <laughs> so he's just mute, and he just makes like gestures and like cute facial expressions. <laughs> and everyone's like, why is this dude so quiet? And he just like beats me and like shrugs with his shoulders because like, he doesn't talk. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like how sort of light-hearted Sega is with this. I, I mean, I know there's there's sort of Sonic 06 and and the Wii games, which which we haven't got into yet because I haven't spent a lot of time with them yet. Uh, those are considered a sort of a bit of a dark age um, for it, even from Sega's perspective, because they they actually pulled those ones from sale, as I recall, uh, due to them not having particularly good um, review scores and such like. They didn't want to. I remember reading that Secret Rings was pretty good. Secret Rings is is I, interesting. I have played a little bit of that one. It's uh, the thing with Secret Rings that you will either love or hate is that it's very much a Wii game, so it's very based on um, using the Wii Mote. Yeah, so, yeah. That's why I never engaged with it at all. Yeah. Like when I had read about Black Knight and Secret Rings, I was like, I I don't want to play these. Not not because I don't like modern Sonic. I just don't want to play these because I don't like gimmicky Wii games. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, I don't know if it's gimmicky or not, but it's it, it's it certainly has a very distinctive control scheme and it sticks with it. So, um, the uh, Secret Rings certainly I can't speak for Black Knight yet, but Secret Rings is very much a sort of auto runner. So you, you don't sort of control Sonic's speed; you control his direction basically. It's it's basically kind of designed a bit like an arcade game in many ways. So you have very, yeah. you have very short stages. Uh, with a specific objective to accomplish. Uh, a lot of it involves doing laps around levels um, to complete various objectives along the way. And it's all controlled by uh, either either just tilting the Wii Remote from side to side just to adjust Sonic's direction, or the homing attack is done by sort of pushing the remote forwards like a, like a gesture. Yeah, this sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> I thought it would be, but it's it, it. Once you get used to it, it it's actually quite satisfying. Like the homing attack on the sort of thrust movement is really satisfying to do. 
Um, but it's yeah, it's it's very much something that you will either love or hate, and um, I can't say much more about it than that at the moment because I've only played a few levels of it. But it's it's certainly an interesting game. I I, I wouldn't call it bad. Certainly, it's it's an interesting game. But whether or not you will respond well to it will um, be based entirely on how much you can deal with motion controls and such like. Um, but as, as I was saying, the, um, the that whole sort of era of Sonic, um, Sega wanted to kind of wipe that out almost. So they pulled those two Wii games and Sonic 06 from sale after there was so much criticism of them. Um, but they're still acknowledged in some games uh, and even some things sort of slightly outside of the main line. Going, going back to uh, LEGO Dimensions again, um, there's a sequence where uh, they talk about... Um, this girl, but wasn't wasn't there this one time that you kissed a princess or something like that? And Sonic's like, nope, never happened, never, no. <laughs> <laughs> but like silver wasn't like cut out of canon. No, no. Like like silver exists in Sonic canon now. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like, it, so it's it, weird. It's, it's strange. Like I say, it's, it's a real shame for for those Sonic games that are popularly regarded as being bad. I just wonder how many people who say. That these games are bad are, are just sort of parroting the popular opinion of it and whether or not they've actually tried them themselves because i suspect there's an awful lot of people who just they heard that say shadow the hedgehog was bad sonic 06 was bad or whatever and and they just haven't bothered to explore it for themselves mm-hmm. um well it's, it's it's a couple things right yeah it's it's the parroting it's it's the hopping on the bandwagon mm-hmm. It's it's also very much a case of, and I don't want to be like one of those guys who gets like pissy about this, but like, Sonic isn't afraid to kill you. Yes. Like, all these modern Sonic games are hard. Yes. Like you have fail states, fail states. You can die. You can run out of lives. You can die pretty abruptly. There are expectations of you to master your skill set and memorize the level to do well. Yes, absolutely. This this style of game, especially amongst the press, and and this isn't me saying like modern games writers aren't good at video games, but I do understand and acknowledge that they have certain time limits imposed on them. Yeah. So a game that requires you to engage with it in a certain degree that requires mastery and memorization isn't really the best environment to review a title like this yeah. in. Yeah. So there's a lot about modern Sonic that is not conducive to the way that the modern gaming culture likes to write and engage with games with knee-jerk reactions. Yeah, yeah, that's because these are games that open themselves up to to mastery. Yeah, very much. I mean, yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, besides what we've already talked about with the replayability to go and get S ranks and better scores and such like. These are some of the few games that I've played in recent memory where both score and lives are relevant. Because there have been games that that have incorporated those where it's just completely irrelevant. I mean, Super Mario World is a good example. That has both a score and a lives counter, neither of which matter in the slightest. But in Sonic games, your lives counter in particular really, really matters. Because even in the ones where you have a save system, so going right back to Sonic 3, Sonic and Knuckles and such like, if you run out of lives, you are at the very least going back to the beginning of the level you're on and quite possibly going back to the beginning of the entire zone that you are on. So there are serious consequences for failing. 
Um, and th that is something that a lot of people these days find quite difficult to deal with, I think. Even with stuff like Dark Souls and stuff doing the same kind of thing. And as you say, it's... It, yeah, so it, part of part of the response is like, oh, I can't just blast through this game in a straight line. I can't just brute force my way through to the end. Sometimes you, sometimes right. you have to get good at it. And like, I hate the whole get good thing. Yeah. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it. But like... My biggest thing with games is, uh, you'll hear me say, you know, I said it already in today's episode, and I'll say it in every episode if I need to, like, in order to properly understand games, and especially understand games from a, a position of perspective and understanding game design, you must learn to engage with games on their own terms. Yes. Yes. Not, not just to play a game based on, is this the game I wanted it to be, yes or no? Yeah. But to actually play a game and say, what are the objectives that the programmer and the creator of these games w was trying to achieve, were they successful in making me feel those feelings mm -hmm. and experience those experiences that they wanted me to experience when they made this? That's the rubric I use to determine whether or not a game is, quote, good or successful. Yeah. So, like, when you play Modern Sonic, you have to understand, like, you can't play it and be like, I can't control the camera with my second analog. This is a poor design choice. I don't like it because it's not like other 3D platformers I've played. Yeah. No. You can't control the camera in Modern Sonic because Modern Sonic takes a directorial camera approach and says, when you are running through this section of this 3D space we have constructed for you, this is where we this is how we want you to view it and this is how we want you to engage with it. Yes. Like it's it's made a choice for you to present something to you. It's an artistic choice. Yeah. And that's not just making excuses either. That is something they explicitly stated when they were designing Sonic Adventure. So they they explicitly said that in order to represent the the speedier aspects uh, for example things like the loops and such like they found that it was much more effective for them to take control of the camera in that way to get a representation of speed rather than keeping it constantly third person over the shoulder view so so yeah this is absolutely not just making excuses for the way sonic does things it is very much baked into the design of it all I mean, a great example, right? So, Sonic Lost World, there were some cool DLC stages mm -hmm. that were themed around other games. Yeah. So, there's a Zelda level. And, like, you go into it, and it's really cute, right? Like, like Sonic gets the little Link cap, <laughs> and, you, and, and you collect rupees instead of rings, and you have to find, there's a dungeon you have to find, and then go through the dungeon. But, like, there's an overworld in that stage, like a Zelda overworld, and it's a big open field. Yeah. It's not a controlled track. It's awful. <laughs> it is not fun yeah. at all. That level doesn't get fun until you find the dungeon, because the dungeon controls like typical 3D Sonic with, with a, a presented viewpoint. Right. But like the overworld sections of that are confusing. They're difficult to navigate. It's confusing, it's difficult to navigate, and it's not fun because yeah. it's big and it's big and empty. And like part of designing sonic properly and understanding at its core that sonic is about motion means that stages need to be tightly designed in order to constantly present you with challenges and set pieces to keep you moving and avoiding and jumping in ways that are consistently entertaining and the only way to do that is with a artistically presented chosen set of camera angles yes 
Yeah, agreed. When Sonic leaves you to its own devices to move around, that's when it is at its worst. Mm -hmm. So, that's me and camera angles and Sonic. <laughs> yeah, no, makes a lot of sense. Okay, well, we've rented on for over an hour on that, uh, so I think that's probably a good time to wrap it up, unless there's anything else you want to bring up before we close. No, just, you know, in general, modern Sonic, not as bad as everyone seems to think it is. Mm -hmm. Have fun. Engage with these games on their own terms. They are well-designed and interesting and full of really cool choices, a lot of fun, artistic stuff, um, and a willingness to engage with the history and philosophy of what Sonic has always meant and try to interpret it in a way that's modernly relevant, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's a good lesson to be learned here generally, not just about Sonic, but about gaming in general, which is just, if something is sort of popularly regarded as bad, it doesn't mean that you're not going to enjoy it. So I think if it, if it sounds like something that might appeal to you, even if people are saying it's complete crap or whatever, then it's worth giving it a try, because more often than not, you'll find yourself pleasantly surprised by what you find. If, you, if as you sure. say, you engage with it on its own merits, consider what it's trying to do whether it's successful at that and yeah do that and you'll pretty much always have a good time all right that's my thought for the day also if anyone touches you that's no good uh, as sonic says <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let's draw that to a close on that charming note um our last episode was called touching is good, it was so sonic is right is directly contradicting indeed <laughs> Well, there you go. Sega versus Nintendo. Clearly conflicting viewpoints. Anyway, Chris, do you want to tell people where to find you on the internet? Sure. You can find my artwork at uh, MrGilderPixels.com as well as Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram at MrGilderPixels. Give me a shout. Check out my stuff. Let me know what you think. Always looking to chat about it. Marvellous. And you can find my stuff on YouTube or on moegamer.net uh, or now on iTunes and various other podcasting platforms now, as we said at the beginning. Uh, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's been fun recording, as always. Um, let us know what you think uh, and if there's any other topics you'd like us to uh, discuss in the future as well. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.